0: I in, I watch no shade. I have done what is righteous and just. Do not lead me to my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail, looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It's time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken, because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, so we got a uh, couple, couple things here. I've got. Uh... Oh. I wore this last week, okay, and I forgot to thank the person that sent it to me, my friend Isabella, and I didn't read it. So can you read this so people, because people online said, I can't read your shirt.
0: I want to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, there is power in the blood.
1: Uh-huh. Woo! Okay, so thanking Isabella for that. That was... we, we watched online last week
0: because of conflicts in time.
1: And I, can't, I can't make it God stop and rewind. What does it say? What does it say? There's power in the blood. Okay, well, there you go. So I had to wear it again this week because I, I get busy and I, my mind doesn't think these things. Burke is not here. Burke is not doing so well today. He's nothing tragic, but I, he needs to be home. We'll just say that. Okay, so um, he's fine, but uh, okay. And then um, I have... Um, uh, Chris in the projects, anybody in Sarasota that's watching online, if you have a kitchen table, chairs, two full or queen-size beds, we need those for the projects. And she had an idea, I'll say this again on um, Sunday, um, uh, she wants anybody that comes to church, you physically have to be here to do this, but anybody that comes to church, anytime that you are at the store and you want to buy extra canned goods, she would like to hand them out in the projects. So it would not be a, a canned good ministry for here, okay? It would be just bring them here, I'll take them and give them to her. So, and uh, she's got a million people she tends to throughout the week as well as us on Saturday. So if anybody ever wants to bring canned goods, um, uh, and like say, I'll say that again Sunday for the folks that attend regularly. And then our friend in Pakistan sent me this out of the blue. He didn't do a, he's got, a Jesus movie planned uh, for in another week, but this is just out of the blue. He sent me this. Uh, this is probably somebody from the last, or maybe two, or three, or four Jesus movies ago. Uh, dear brother and brother, dear brother Charlie and Daniel in the UK, who sends all this on. Um, Greetings in the name of Jesus, and then he just it says us something, and then he says, "I'm glad that." Uh, uh, uh. Okay, somebody uh, sent him a letter, and he translated it and he sent it on and I got permission to read this. So, dear brother in Christ, this is one of the people that came through the Jesus movie that we fund over in Pakistan. I am glad to write you my testimony. I am Gulchand from Hindu background. I was touched by God's love during watching the story of how he sent Jesus on this earth and he died for our sins. This was so amazing to feel God's love. I never experienced this godly love before in my life. I was always afraid of God, and therefore I did not try to find out about more of him. I always ignored him in my life. I only tried to reach this God through different ways, like fasting, doing good works, performing sacrifices to the temple. This was not enough to satisfy me, but I had no other way. I put my faith on these things. When I came to attend this Jesus film meeting, there were so many questions raised in my mind that I wanted to get answers. I made notes of the whole story. And then I came to our brother. I won't give his name because I don't know if I have permission to give his name. Anyway, I I need to ask him next time I write him because anyway, for asking his help to explain more about this story. He spent a good time with me and answered all my questions. It was amazing experience that I was feeling something in my heart like a great happiness and joy and peace. This was a different kind of joy that I never had before. I began to thank God and prayed to him in my heart. Our brother uh, prayed with me also, and he gave me MP3 Bible that I am happy to listen to and carry it with me every day, morning and evening. This is helpful to me that I'm growing in many ways that I can walk with Christ. I want to thank God for this meeting, and I am thankful to our brother who uh, for the help. I want to bring my other family members to this meeting, and I'm sure they will come to know about God and his love. And then that's, he signed, In Christ Gulchand. And he sent his photo, which I will not put up here because I don't know, I didn't ask about that, but he's got his MP3 in his hand and so wonderful. It's just, I'm so happy that we are having this this uh, Jesus film movie. I just got a letter from uh, uh, our friend that coordinates this over there. And uh, he's uh, asked for funding for the next one at the end of the month. And I emailed somebody that uh, 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 asked, to pay for the next one. If if he has the money for it, great. If not, I'll take care of it. But we're going to make sure that we have this movie at the end of February, another week. So um, having said that, we'll read this really quickly, and then we'll go to the Lord in Prayer. Let's see. It's um, February 16th today. If that's not right, please let me know, because I Correct. think it's... Okay. <laughs> Let's see here. Benjamin Breckenridge, Warfield. B.B. Warfield, hey! Hey! Burke likes this guy, uh, was the greatest theologian of his day. He was professor of theology at Western Theological Seminary from 1879 to 1887. From 1887 until his death, he was professor of theology at Princeton Seminary. No theologian of his day is as widely read today as he. On Christmas Eve 1920, Dr. Warfield suffered a heart attack. He slowly recuperated over the following weeks, and when classes resumed after Christmas vacation, he was back teaching. On February 16, 1921, Warfield went to his regular afternoon class, but he did not stand to lead the opening prayer, as was his usual custom, for he was still feeling weak. The passage for study that day was the third chapter of 1 John. When he began teaching, it was as if all of his weakness faded away. When his exposition reached the 16th verse hereby perceive we the love of god because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren a student recalled all the eloquence of dr warfield's christian heart all the wisdom of his ripened scholarship focused on the interpretation of that text dr warfield explained the laying down of his life in our stead was a great thing But the wonder of the text is that he, being all that he was, the Lord of glory, laid down his life for us, being what we are, mere creatures of his hand, guilty sinners deserving his wrath. He urged his students to realize their own sin and God's gift more fully, which would deepen our wonder at his grace and our wish to glorify his name. After his lecture, Warfield returned home. Later that evening, he suffered another heart attack and died. He had taught his last class. The day after Warfield's death, his Princeton colleague and good friend J. Gresham Macham wrote a letter to his mother saying, I am writing to tell you of the great loss which we have just sustained in the death of Dr. Warfield. Princeton will seem to be a very insipid place without him. He was really a great man. There is no one living in the church capable of occupying one quarter of his place. To me, he was an incalculable help and support in a hundred different ways. This is a sorrowful day for us all. Years later, when performing the funeral service of a friend, Dr. Warfield had described the innumerable throng that had laid aside the trials and labors of earth, well-pleasing to their Lord, and entered into their rest with him. He continued, while our farewell to them on this side of the separating gulf was sounding in their ears, the glad hail of their Lord was welcoming them there. May God grant each of us to follow them. May he give us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us holy and enable us when we close our eyes in our long sleep to open them at once, not in terrible pain and torment, but in the soft, sweet light of paradise, safe in the arms of Jesus. After teaching his last class, Warfield followed the innumerable throng into the safe arms of Jesus. The greatest attribute of B.B. Warfield was his great heart for God, to him, theology wasn't about lofty propositions. It was about a personal God who sent his son to lay down his life in our stead that we may spend eternity in paradise with him. Do you think of Jesus as a theological concept or do you know him personally as B.B. Warfield did? 1 John 3:16. we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. Good stuff. Heavenly Father, we're very grateful to you for the theologians of the past that have opened this word up to us and allowed us to uh, enter in, enter into it more fully and even expand upon that. And we thank you that the word is sure, it is set, and all we need to do is to rightly handle it, to understand what you are telling us. So help us, Lord, to uh, properly handle this precious word and to never deviate from uh, doing our best to, to teach it properly and to teach it with all the zeal we can until the day that you come for us, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you above all for Jesus, who is revealed in this word. Thank you, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we have. Uh, oh, Hideko Garrett's here. Hello, Hidako Garrett. How are you? Let's yeah. see. Um, Oh, what do we have here? Oh, we are now in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is great. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll probably get it done tonight. It's a short book, so we should probably be able to get through it. Um, although, we will close a little early today, so we might be missing one or two verses. But uh, um, uh, let's see here. We've got, um, what's that? Oh, yeah. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. You see, I have a little introduction, don't you? i don't know do we you do yeah
0: go ahead i okay one paul silas and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in god the father and lord jesus christ
1: grace and peace to you okay this one is a little different the beginning is almost identical paul sylvanus and timothy instead of silas it gives his full name sylvanus to the Church of Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, there you go. You missed that? or Okay, all
0: right. So Silas and is the same name?
1: Should be. Yeah, it's, it, you know, yeah. It's, it would be a, a shortened form, like, uh you know, are Uh, Jim and James. Yeah, Ray and Raymond. (laughs) Timothy and Timothy. There you go. Um, Okay, so we have uh, 1-1. Welcome to the book of 1 Thessalonians. It is comprised of 89 verses. And so it will take us, and obviously this is from my written commentary, it'll take us one day at a time, just as the sun rises each day, only three months to analyze it. It is hoped that you will be blessed as each day unfolds with marvelous insights into this beautiful epistle from the mind of God and through the hand of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, once again, I typed this probably seven or eight years ago. So um, if I uh, say something that's on my mind in the middle of a commentary and then I read it again, I apologize. It's just that I I don't read what I wrote eight years ago before the class. I just We just start with whatever I wrote and we're going with it. Okay, he begins by introducing himself along with Silvanus, also known as Silas and Timothy. The letter bears Paul's name, and there is no valid reason to suggest that he is not the true author, okay? People love to tear the Bible apart, and they always start with authorship, okay? It happens all the time, but there's no reason on this planet to not think that it is Paul who wrote this, um, However, he leaves off the customary term apostle, which he uses in many other epistles because he was already well-known to the church. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, and the letter is written to a Gentile-led church. All of Paul's letters are written to Gentile churches. In fact, they're all written to what branch of Gentiles? Can anybody remember that? We talked about it just a couple classes ago. Noah had three sons, Shem, and and Japheth. And these are all written to sons of Japheth. Japheth. That's right. Okay, so um, uh, Shem obviously is the line of, um, what's his name, Um, uh, Abraham, and then Abraham went into um, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, and then uh, from Isaac it went to Jacob and Edom. They're all of that line, okay? Anyway, uh, the other ones are Japheth. He's the the uh, son of Noah, and then from there, all of these are written to sons of Japheth, okay? Um, I had a point I was going to make, and it just went right out my ear. Anyway, um, Gentile-led church, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. That does not mean that he is teaching a different gospel than Peter. All it means is that there is a different audience that is being addressed. Peter is the apostle to the circumcision, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So we'll stop right there, just because somebody may click onto this and they've got that in their head and they're, they they uh, want to defend hyper-dispensationalism, which is actually indefensible. But uh, to uh, let people know that it's exactly the same gospel, you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and there Paul first, he gives the gospel. If you go back to chapter 14, he talks about the other apostles. He named some of them, etc. But anyway, in chapter 15, he says, um, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. If you believe that simple message from God, you will be saved. You will be sealed with the Holy Spirit when you believe. That's what the Bible teaches. If you doubt that, he says, if you believe, go to Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. And it says, when you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is guarantee, promise of our future redemption, etc. Okay, so that's what's required. There's nothing else required. And if you insert anything else into that simple gospel, you have perverted the gospel. Okay. But that is, it's one of the hardest things for people to grasp is the concept of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God asks us to believe. We have to set all of ourselves aside, all of the things like this person did in uh, Pakistan that I just read you. You set everything aside and say, I am going to trust God on this one, the simple gospel. And then if you go down, he says the other people that he um, uh, uh, saw and talked to and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12 and after that he was seen by over 500 and then he was seen by James and all the apostles and then Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And then if you go down to verse 11, he says this. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. It is one gospel. There are not two gospels. The people that try to divide the gospel into two gospels and say that the church began with Paul in Acts chapter 9, etc., that is not only wrong, it's a heresy. So, uh, just... For anybody that's never watched one of these classes before, and you say, I want to watch 1 Thessalonians, I'm saying that right now so that you know you're not going to get a change out of me in that. There is one gospel. Christ died for our sins. There is one new covenant, and we enter into that new covenant through the work of Christ. That is it. So, um, let's see here. So, and Timothy were Paul's companions at Thessalonica, and he included them in his opening greetings as they were still with him at this point in his ministry. They are both noted together in Acts 17 and 18, which we're going to be in very soon. We start. I started typing Acts chapter 15 today. So we're more than one half of the way through the book of Acts now. It's been about a year and a half, I think, we've been in Acts. And uh, chapter 15 started today. Wonderful verse. Um, it, you kind of have to look at chapter 14 and chapter 15 together. Um, it ends, Acts... 14. And it's not posted yet. They won't be posted for about 10 days. But um, it said um, uh, they just came back from their first missionary journey. Now, when they had come together and gathered to church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Actually, the Greek does not have an article in front of door. It is a door of faith. Okay. And that's an important point. But uh, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The Gentiles have now been acknowledged as being accepted into the faith based on this missionary journey. And then Acts 15, 1, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The first heresy to be introduced into the churches right there in Acts 15, 1. It's the first internal challenge to the, the church. Everything else has been external until that point. And... The entire book of Galatians is spent trying to refute this, and to this day, we have people that reinsert the law of Moses. He didn't just, they didn't just come, and I, I'll read the commentary. I'll be here all night talking about it. Anyway. Just on, let you know,
0: you started this in uh, the summer of 2017.
1: 2017, I typed it, so it wasn't that long ago. It's, uh, what is it, 2023? Six years. Oh, six years ago. Okay. So it's about right. I think I said seven years. So anyway okay um but yeah read read the X commentary every day when it comes out and on uh, or have Daniel read it to you his voice is much yes. much better than you know whatever or Joey if you uh, you know uh, one other option for these commentaries is uh Joey up in um, uh New York New Jersey where are you Joey why can't I remember this anyway every day she posts them on YouTube and They scroll, and you can have it scroll at any rate you want. You just pick the uh, speed and your reading speed, and she adds music in, or sometimes she adds in uh, a thunderstorm in the background, and so it makes it very pleasing to read the commentaries online. So what I do every morning is I have Daniel read it, and while Daniel's reading it, I'm scrolling through with Joey's commentary. And so that's the first thing I do after I read my Bible every day, and um, uh, then I type my next commentary. But... um, Follow along there. Marvelous stuff. It all bears with what's going on right now in 1 Thessalonians and all of the other epistles of Paul because you know when he wrote this epistle, what was happening in his life based on the book of Acts. Anyway, Sylvanus and Timothy were Paul's companions. I read that. They are both noted in Acts 17 and 18. We'll be there in about uh, three months. Sylvanus or Silas, is noted 13 times in Acts 15 through 18. He was a Roman citizen, as is seen in Acts 16.37. Despite this, he was also a Jew. The longer name Silvanus is used of him in, by Paul in 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He's probably also the same person referenced by Peter in 1 Peter 5.12. Timothy is the better known of the two because of his being prominently mentioned throughout the New Testament, and in particular because the of two books which bear, excuse me which bear his name being written to him by paul after his introduction paul says to the church of the thessalonians in god the father and the lord jesus christ this same address is used in both 1 and 2 thessalonians he addresses the church as a whole here instead of the more common term to the saints or to the brethren that he uses in many other letters. The unique term in God the Father is probably used to ensure that there is a distinction made between God the Father and God the Son. He will say in verse 1-9 that the church turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. By making a distinction between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he is showing that both are God. There's another thing that we can stop right there, and we can say if you are clicking on this because you want to know about 1 Thessalonians and you are a Jehovah's Witness, or you've been trained by the Jehovah's Witness, you've been trained wrong. Your thinking is inaccurate. You have another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, and you cannot find salvation through what they proclaim. I know this personally, okay? Having said that, there is probably nothing more evident in all of Scripture than the deity of Jesus Christ even though some verses, uh, you know, make it explicit in one text and it's not as explicit in another text, it is, there's nothing more evident than the Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament is the highlight of the Old Testament. And then introduce the New Testament. The Lord Jehovah is never mentioned again. The focus is solely on Jesus Christ in relation to God the Father. He is Jehovah incarnate, Okay. Um, if you don't know that and you are watching 1 Thessalonians for the first time, one of these Bible studies, you can go to our playlist on YouTube and you can go to the maybe 10 or 11 doctrine sermons. The doctrine sermons will give you all of the information that you need, that I feel you need to be properly grounded in Jesus Christ, in the nature of the Godhead, in what is proper presentation of the gospel, what is a proper presentation of uh, the Bible itself, the Word of God, why do we have that? All of these things I detail. It's just a short series of doctrine sermons, but it's enough to give you a foundational base of what you need to know so that you don't get off into these heresies, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and going on, all these different uh, doctrines that are incorrect for one reason or another. But the one that is most addressed, it might not be the most important, I wouldn't say, but what is the one that is most addressed by Paul in the New Testament? Of all of the things that he challenges, what is the one point that he brings up again and again and again?
0: That Jesus over, finished the law.
1: Do not reinsert the law of Moses. Do not reinsert the law of Moses. That's exactly right. The law is complete. Do not reinsert the law of Moses. That is what Paul focuses on more than any other point in all of his letters. And if you get that wrong, you're going to be sending tithes to a church, okay? Where is tithing in the Bible? In the law of Moses, okay? It is a precept that is stated there, and then it's abused by people that bring it back into the new covenant anyway because instead of saying every third year you give 10%, They say you have to give 10% every year, and the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says in the third year, the year of the tithe, Deuteronomy 26, 12. They've reinserted the law by reinserting tithing, and then they've twisted tithing to mean something other than what it says in the Bible, Deuteronomy 14. The first two years, you are to do what with your tithe? Go down to Jerusalem and have a big party. Spend all of your tithe on wine and on food and on your family and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. Have a great time. Invite the Levite, invite the widow, invite the orphan because they have no, uh, they can't do it themselves. So bring them along, share your tithe, but have a big party and rejoice in the abundance that the Lord has given you. Go read Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22 down to the end of the chapter. That is where it says that, okay? Big party. And then on the third year, set all of the tithe aside so that the widow and the orphan and the Levite and those who have no share inheritance among you will have something to sustain them. And if you gave away 10% every third year, the way that the law demanded, the nation of America would be overflowing. We don't need people milking people with tithe, tithe, tithe every week. You'll never hear that ever in this church. We don't come to you and say, oh, pass the plate, it's time to tithe, because that is an Old Testament precept. If somebody says that in a church, tell the pastor privately, and if he still preaches it the next week, leave, okay? It is not a New Testament precept, and Paul brings this up again, and again, and again, and again. Do not reinsert the law of Moses. The entire book of Galatians just warns against it. It fights against it. So, um, Now where was I? Uh, By making a distinction between God the Father and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is showing that both are God, but there is more than one person in the Godhead. How many are there? Are there two? Are there seven? Are there 12? Can we know? The Bible lets us know. If you wanna know that, you can watch the doctrine sermon on the Trinity. The Bible is replete with it. Old Testament and new. The Old Testament, you could not have deduced this probably although there are verses in the Old Testament that have all three members of the Godhead in one verse, right in Zechariah, right? Uh, where is it? I, I can't remember the verse right now, but uh, they will look on, the Lord is speaking, they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as the whole, the Trinity. It's right there in one verse of the book of Zechariah. People could debate it. People do debate it. The Jehovah's Witnesses take that verse and they use a margin text verse. They do not use the verse Zechariah itself. 12, 10. What's that? Zechariah 12, 10. seeing how say you got it. We'll read it right now. Okay? So uh, Zechariah, thank you. I knew it was in like 10 through 14, but I would not have gotten it right off the top of my head. And so, uh, you know, if you want to be in Zechariah, you've got to be in Zechariah and not in Zephaniah. Okay? So uh, <coughs> Ze- Zechariah 12, verse 10, he said... Um, and I will pour out on the house of David, this is the Lord Jehovah speaking, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit, there it is, the Spirit of Grace, first member of or the third member of the Godhead, and they will look on me, a physical being, second member of the Godhead, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. The Lord is speaking. The second member is referred to, the third member is referred to in one verse of the Old Testament. It's marvelous. It's marvelous how these things are written into Scripture. And like I said, the Jews will not use that verse. They'll use a margin reading. The Jehovah's Witnesses use the Jews' margin reading because they want to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They add into the New Testament in the New World Translation of the Bible words that are not there. They use, uh, one of the things that the Jehovah's Witnesses do with their translation, they say that this is translated out of the original tongues, right? And so what they do is they say, and they give the, the source texts that they use, which any responsible translating committee would do. And so they use one by a Jew named Hashem. Hashem wrote his translation of the New Testament as a polemic against, Christianity, not for Christianity. So obviously he's going to insert the name of the Lord Jehovah there to get rid of the deity of Christ. Another thing that they have done is they've taken texts. Okay, what language was the New Testament written in?
0: Greek.
1: Greek. Okay, they have texts that the Jehovah's Witnesses use that are out of Hebrew. Okay, so you got that. In the Hebrew text itself, it says, translated from the original tongues. So where are you going to go to get your translation when you do the New World Translation? The original tongues or this one where they take the name Lord and they translate it as Jehovah? Okay, so this is, this is what you have to know about source text. When you're Reading your new Bible, which you're going to do by the end of the year, you will have read two new Bibles, okay? That's your challenge, is to read a Bible, set it aside, and go get another one. Before you read the next one, read the...
0: Footnotes and the intro. The
1: intro, the preface first. Read the preface. Why do they translate things the way they do? The King Jimmy, when it translates uh, and uh, uh, when it adds in a word that is not in the text, what do they do? they make it in italics okay so you know that's an inserted word some translations will put it in Bracket. brackets that's a inserted word you want to read that preface so you know why they've done what they've done in the new testament some translations will offset uh verses from the old testament they'll offset them so you know that that's an old testament reference even though it's in the new testament some of them put it in oblique instead of italics or boldface or whatever, they'll put it in oblique. Some of them will put it in brackets. And so you wanna know before you read the Bible, what are they doing? And then as he said, the next thing you do is when you're reading the Bible, make sure you read the footnotes because you bought a Bible with footnotes. Make sure you read the footnotes because they tell you all the mechanics that are going on in there. Forget the commentaries. Commentaries are useless in Bibles, okay? They have this much space to comment on an entire page. You can't comment on anything in there, okay? There are times where we have two verses and we'll write an entire sermon, and I'll be done, and I'll say, I could have done more, okay? Don't read the commentaries. Always read the footnotes. Okay, so uh, what was my point I was going to make about Oh, yeah, Sergio and I have challenged each other yesterday. We were deciding to make a challenge. Okay, so we're finishing up the Bibles that we are reading right now. I read one in the morning, and then I read one at night. But the one I read at night, I also read in the morning sometimes when I have a little extra time. So anyway, the one that I am reading in the evening, I'll be done with first, and then I'll take the morning one, I'll put it upstairs, and I'll use that for my... But the next Bible that I finish will be about the same time that Sergio finishes his Bible. And we're going to coordinate this so that we start... Together, doing the Bible typer. Because he's right. I'd never thought of this. I'm always telling people, if you want to learn to type, do this. You're typing the Bible and you're, but you're using different neurons when you're typing than when you're reading. And so that's a great idea. He said that and I thought, you know, I didn't even think of that. I'm going to go get another version of the Bible and I'm going to read that. No, this time I'm going to let my computer do the walking. And so I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to type however long, 30 minutes or whatever, every day. And I'll type the Bible. And this is all because of a couple guys online that have been spurring me on, oh, I'm loving this so much. And so I tell once in a while during the uh, the uh, weekly update, these people, one guy did the whole thing in four months. He typed the whole Bible in four months. Okay, now you're not going to retain everything. Definitely you're not going to retain everything. But you're not going to retain everything when you're reading it this way either. I've read this book. Many times, many, many times in many, many versions. And I still find things that I say, you know, I never saw it. it. happened this week, didn't it, Sergio? There was something that was in a sermon. Was it last week or the week before? Anyway, it was this last week's sermon. It was about a translation of the word where it means city of forests or city of honeycombs, Kiriath jerim okay? Yeah, and so I'm reading the book of Malachi, in my morning reading and I'm reading it and it says this and I went and I read it and I said to Sergio look at this this just confirms what I said in the sermon so I did something I never do I added in a comment into the sermon that's online and into my saved copy that nobody else got because it's so interesting it confirmed and I said I wish I had read that just a couple days earlier I could have added them earlier but anyway the Bible never stops getting new, ever, and it never will because it's filled with the wisdom and mind of God. Okay.
0: When you are typing, because people learn through their eyes, their ears, their mouths, and their hands, Yeah. if you will say out loud as you type each word, it'll go deeper.
1: I I do that as well, but but that's not going to help you with, that's true, but it's not going to help you. What she said, because they probably can't hear her, is that you should Read out loud while you're typing. That will not help you with speed, though. And most of the people that do Bible type or want to learn to type faster because they want to become secretaries in an office or something. I don't know what they want. Anyway, um, uh, listen, I knew a guy when I was in Japan. Hawk Beltry. What a great guy. Remember Hawk? What a great guy. We called him Hawk because he had his hair. He was an Italian guy, and he looked just like a He looked just like Hawk. Long nose. Just like... Anyway, so he... Uh, He typed with two fingers, and that guy could probably type 70 words a minute. I've never... It was great. Anyway, he could type faster with two than I can with all of them. And I was trained for typing in tech school. Hands on copy. Or eyes on... uh, What is it? Eyes on copy. Hands on home row. Begin. Okay. And then you typed until you were blue, and by the end of the day, you were so sick of typing, I'll never type again. The next day, you're doing it again. So... But Hawk could type... He had to pass the same test I did, and he did it with two fingers. Wow. That is amazing. They didn't care. As long as you made the minimum 30 words a minute, they didn't care how you did it. And he obviously did it. And it had to be 30 words a minute with no errors. In other words, if you did 50 words and you had 20 errors, then you would pass. But if you had 50 words a minute and 21 errors, you didn't pass because it's 29 (laughs) words a minute. So there you go. What did you say? I heard some little... Yeah, he No, he didn't use his nose, but he could have. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, the two are one essence, God the Father, God the Son, and yet there is an order within the Godhead by which access is made available. Without Christ Jesus, there is no access to God the Father. You know, I see this all the time. I saw it again on Twitter. Uh, somebody died, uh, and, you know, I, as bad as I feel about it, oh, it was a couple of... um. Uh, Air National Guard guys or maybe reservists they were Air National Guard they they went in yesterday in a helicopter okay they, somebody got it on film and they went straight down there was that was it and you know so people were posting you know blah 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 and I my only comment when I see that and I always say the same thing I hope they knew Jesus you know and of course some people come back and they want to get angry they want to get defensive or whatever listen. Without Jesus Christ, you will not come to God the Father. And if I can spur a conversation to get people to think about their mortal end, which is coming, it doesn't matter if you went down in a helicopter, if you get run over by a car walking out of Bible class, you're dead. You have to think that your end is coming. And there is no other way to be reconciled to God except through Jesus. I told you, I was talking to somebody uh, very close to me, uh, proximity wise, uh, my home, and I gave him the gospel, and he was so responsive. And we got to the end, and I said, so I want you to know, without him, you're not going to make it to heaven. He said, well, what do you mean? And I said, God isn't going to lie. He's not going to say in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And he's also not going to send his son to die on a cross to say, okay, I'm going to give you an end around. That's a problem with Roman Catholicism. They have Mary. She's now a mediator. She's a co-redemptrix by some of them, okay? It doesn't work that way. And they also say that the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, Mary was saved from original sin. Well, if God could have done that for Mary, then he would have done it for anybody else, and we don't need Jesus. It doesn't make any sense, but people don't want to think that God has an exclusive plan that involves the giving of his son. And there is an exclusive plan, and that's why I'm sitting here doing this. Because I could be, you know what I did today? Over the past month, I had forgotten that I have water and wastewater licenses that are due. And so over the past month, actually it was over a couple weeks, I did all of the courses to keep my licenses. And today, I went online to the Florida Department of Ed, the Environmental Protection website, and all of my courses have transferred. They accepted that. And so what I did, I paid the fee for my wastewater and my water licenses. And that'll come in the mail very soon. And I'll have my licenses and I'll shove them in a the folder. And I would probably make a lot more money and have a lot more free time if I went back to wastewater. Okay. I don't ever want to do that again. I keep those licenses because you don't know. What does it say in the Ecclesiastes? cast your bread upon the waters, okay? You don't know what's coming in life. And so you want to have everything available that you can because I don't know. And so I might have to go back into water or wastewater one of these days. So I keep my licenses up. It would be a crime to not keep them because it took me years to get them. Anyway. um emails too a lot less emails. I mean, you know, I I said to the lady at the pizza place today, um, she was complaining about, I said, how's it going? You know, I'm always excited to see how their business is going. And she said, oh, some days it's so, it's so long. She said, we have to work even until 12 o'clock. I said, good. I said, it's, this is your time of the year to make your money. This is because, you you know, it's going to slow back down. And she was like, yeah, yeah. She said, but we get awful tired. I said, the last day, the last day that I had off was September of 2020. Seven days a week, 3.30 in the morning till six o'clock. She said, okay, you win. I said, it's not a winning thing. It's that I love what I do. And so I don't take time off. I do the same thing every Monday. I do the same thing every Tuesday because I want to be consistent about what I'm doing. I don't want to get out of this because I love what I'm doing and I know that this is more important than anything else. But Having said that, um, uh, I was going to make a point. Now that point is gone. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, it had something. I'll I'll see it as soon as I start reading again. But, um, oh, yeah, there's one way to the Father. That's it. There's no other way. And that is why I believe that this is the right job for me is because I believe it's right to tell people this. I believe that this is what people need to know. And when I see the tragedy of somebody dying in a helicopter crash, I want to spur a conversation that might get somebody to say, I could die tomorrow. What do I do about it? Look at this guy over there. Went into the Hindu temples all of his life fearing God, doing all of these things. God already owns everything. He doesn't need you to do anything. He doesn't need you to do anything except accept that he is God and that he loves you enough to do what he did to redeem you. That guy got it. That guy got it. Okay. Without Christ Jesus, there is no access to God the Father. He is the mediator between the two. Once again, Mary cannot be the mediator because it says right in the Bible, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. We don't need a Catholic priest to mediate our sins. We do not need the Pope to mediate our sins, and we don't need Mary to mediate our sins. We need Jesus. He is the new high priest. He replaced Aaron. I don't. If people would just read the book of Hebrews and understand it, they would get that. Jesus is all in all. He's the fulfillment of every type that we see again and again and again, week after week. It's about Jesus, okay? Again, his coming statement in verse 1-9, which we might get to in a couple minutes, we'll see, is intended to show them these things. Pagan idolatry from which they have turned The Thessalonians, were pagan idolaters, is not the same as what is presented in the Christian faith. His introductory words here are carefully chosen for them, and thus for us, to learn and to remember what is right and appropriate in the worship of God. This is where we go. Um, We have all kinds of things in the world that people love to claim about God. They love to claim you know, I I, I heard a word from the Lord and I'm going to tell you all what it is. And uh, it's usually something to help benefit the pastor. But whatever. You have people that make claims about dreams and about visions. You have people that make... uh, I I, I've typed this in a couple commentaries recently on Acts because it was the right time to do it. But uh, if you think it through, all right. What is it? What is it that established... Seventh-day Adventism. Does He's anybody know? The law. That woman, okay, the you're getting there. And?
0: Her dreams.
1: her dreams, her visions. What is it that established Mormonism? Oh,
0: uh, Joseph Smith and his visions, and visions. Joseph
1: Smith and his visions. Mm-hmm. Look at the common denominator of all of these cults. Somebody claims, I've seen God. I've talked to God. God talked to me. I have the special revelation, the common denominator. And if you believe in dreams and visions, if you believe in those things, Jesus speaking to people, you need me to be saved. If you believe that, then you have no authority to disbelieve Joseph Smith. You have no authority to disbelieve Ellen G. White or Charles Taz Russell. You have no authority to do that. Okay? Because what they are saying is, extra from what's in the Bible. The Bible is a codified whole. It was sealed. It says amen at the end of it. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ ended with the apostolic era. Then, if it continues on, you have no basis at all for saying, okay, he talked to this person and I can accept that. Okay, he talked to this person and I can't accept that. It doesn't work that way. You have no basis at all for anything. Either the word of God is fully sufficient and it is what we need, or it is not. And that's, you know, that's just how it is. So, and I typed that today in Acts 15, verse 1, something on those lines, because that is what is being brought out by Paul. When these people say, well, you need to return to Moses. If you're not circumcised according to Moses, you can't be saved. Think it through. Hmm. Think it through. After this, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a standard portion which is to be found in almost all of his epistles. Grace is unmerited favor. It cannot be earned. This was the common greeting among the Greek people. Peace, however, was and still is the common greeting among the Hebrew people. In their language, the word is shalom. It is more than a greeting for calm or quiet, but it is a state of wholeness and completion in all ways. Paul unites the two terms just as the church is being united between Jew and Gentile during his time. This grace precedes the peace because only after receiving the grace can the grace of God, uh, can a person then experience the peace of God. So you must receive the grace before you can experience the peace. Paul extends this wonderful blessing to them as he says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a greeting from the eternal God, both the unseen Father and his Son who reveals the Father to us. Rather than being an argument against the divinity of Jesus Christ, it is an argument for it. He is tying the two in as one, Jesus being a member of the Godhead. People will take this, these verses when Paul says something like this and he will, they will try to separate, say, see, Jesus isn't God because. And that's not what Paul is doing. He's saying that Jesus is God that Christ is God incarnate. Christ is the, the, uh, the deity part of who Jesus is. Jesus is the man. Christ is God incarnate, okay? And that's why he, he does this. He's not trying to say there's a distinction, but there's a oneness between the two. Paul then, um, uh, throughout Paul's letters, as with the entire Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ is a concept and a precept, which is on evident display. It is the very heart of what God has done for the reconciliation of the people of the world. And as a side note, some translations leave off everything after "peace." Your translation did, which is the which is the true original. is hard to say. Scholars argue over this, but either way, Jesus Christ is the one who is on prominent display throughout this entire book. Okay, um, and it. it the point i'm making about that adding that into the commentary is that if your bible says this and my bible doesn't say this or vice versa okay mine hasn't included yours doesn't we don't know which one is the original is that a problem and yeah. why not
0: well the footnote
1: says well the footnote does but how do we know that that's not a problem
0: it doesn't change
1: the idea. It does, what, yes. One, it doesn't change anything about the doctrine of the Bible. But secondly, the original was complete. And one of them has a scribal error and one of them doesn't. Probably. So the original... Hello, sir. How are you tonight? Come on in. Hello, We've been waiting we for doing? you. We've been waiting interrupt. for you. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, no, you, well, you but... always interrupt us, buddy. Yeah. It's
0: yeah it's nobody complains <laughs> either.
1: We, we got pizza tonight. Now, I always forget this. Okay, I always forget this, and so I'm going to do this right now. Um, We had a, um, last time I uh, said Phil Kaufman and Rod and Paul, and I said that we had pretty much uh, spent most of it. We had a little left from the two of them, but we have more that came from Joey and from Dave and Katie. Okay, so Joey and Dave and Katie sent some money for the um, pizza. Now, after that, I've got another name, so we're going to have to have pizza again here one of these days. But um, uh, this is a a little bit left from Phil Kaufman and Rod and Paula that covered most of last times, or all of last times, (laughs) and there was a little extra. And so this time, it's mostly Joey and Dave and Katie. Okay, and then there'll be some more from them because they sent enough to cover more than that, and then plus somebody as well. So there you go with that. But we want to thank our pizza experts extraordinaire for uh, bringing us pizza. Thank you. Give me a big hug. We love you. Take good you, care. Tom. It's good to see you. Thank you. Say all hi to Waw everyone. for me, okay? I'll do that. I'll all right. Take, take all. good care. All right. Um, anyway, so we got that. Now, are you guys leaving early? When are you leaving? Go get some pizza then. Just take it with you because, please, go take some pizza, all right? Don't leave without taking some pizza or go eat it now. And you've, you've heard verse number one, so you're all set um uh but i made sure that they grace i made sure that he delivered it early enough so that uh you would uh you would be able to take a couple pieces so we'll thank the lord for that pizza right now heavenly father we do thank you for the uh, pizza that you've uh provided through these wonderful people and we just ask that you bless it and uh thank you for don and jody and we just ask that they have a, a good time as they head off to class tonight and uh Uh, We just love you and we praise you. Thank you for that food in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now you guys can go get your pizza without feeling guilty. Um, Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, Life application. Uh, My point was that the original texts either have it or they don't. A scribe may have made an error and inserted something where it shouldn't have been, or he may have deleted something. And We've talked about how the New Testament was compiled. It was done very quickly. Some scribes were not trained the way the Hebrews were, and so there's going to be naturally more errors in the New Testament. But the original can be deduced from a proper study of the Bible, okay? You can almost get to 99.9% of what is the original. And what isn't never affects doctrine. So we don't need to worry about it. People that say that this is a problem, it is not. The originals are recorded. The Lord gave the word to the people and we're just, I have no problem with with uh, there being a variation between that and this. Okay, life application. Honest daily Bible study is hard work. It takes time and it takes effort. In today's world, many people who come to 1 Thessalonians do so in order to read the rapture verses noted in chapter 4. As a matter of fact, I would say that 99% of the people that are into rapture theology as their main thing in life, that's all they know about 1 Thessalonians is chapter 4, okay? They know the rapture verses in 1 Corinthians 15, and that's the sum of their theology. That's so sad. There's so much more in the Bible than the rapture. The rapture is something that is going to happen just like your death. There's no point in dwelling on it. There's no point in getting all excited about it. It's going to happen. It may happen during our life. It may not happen during our life. And I'm not going to spend my time trying to figure out when the rapture is going to occur. First, Jesus says that we're not going to know. He said that explicitly with his own mouth in. Anybody know where? not Matthew. Matthew is not writing about the rapture. He's speaking to the Jews under the law about the end times for the Jews. Acts 1, verses 7 and 8. Let's go there. Acts 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus tells us explicitly that we are not going to know when the kingdom age is coming and we will know the kingdom age is coming when the rapture happens and then people are taken out, and they go into seven years of tribulation. Okay? So, he says, I gotta turn there mean Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He says, they ask him a question first. They say, um, uh, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, this is the last thing he said to him. I mean, this is it. After he says this, he doesn't say anymore. Okay? Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is what Matthew is dealing with. Matthew 24 is not dealing with the rapture. No man knows the day and the hour it has nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing, okay? So, and he said to them, last words he says before he ascended, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. He says that again, Paul repeats that same sentiment, the times and the seasons in uh 2 Thessalonians 2, is it? Or is it 1 Thessalonians? I I think it's 2 Thessalonians 2. Anyway, he uses the same terminology. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me if you're not worried about the rapture. If you're not spending all your time trying to predict when the rapture is, you will be a witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be telling people like Ray over here is in Papua New Guinea, okay? He's spending his life over there getting the gospel out to people that have never heard the gospel before. This is our job. We might go to a restaurant and talk to somebody that has never heard about Jesus. As surprising as that sounds, they're, yeah, I've heard of Jesus, but they have no idea who he is or what he did. That is our job, okay? And so that is the last thing he said that we're not going to know these things. Did you find that? Other verse that Paul said, times and seasons. No, okay, you weren't. I thought you were looking for it. Okay, um, take care. Have a great evening. Um, but uh, yeah, he says basically the same phrase, times and seasons, and he equates it to the timing of the end times events. You have no need to know. Uh, let me see if I can find it because uh, uh, we're we're going to finish with verse one today, and then we're going to repeat verse two that I did half of uh, next week because I got myself out of order. But um, uh, let's see here. Um, Uh, Colossians, because we got pizza and it smells so good, we just got to go eat. So the people (laughs) online are just going to have to suffer with uh, not getting it. Um, Do you not remember? Um, Let me see here. Exalts himself, um, gathering of our Lord Jesus. Um, uh, Okay, he says, times and seasons. Five one. Five one. I knew it was in five or in two, and I, I went to two first and I was wrong. Okay, yeah. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He's confirming what Jesus said. He's telling you, you have no need to know this because it's going to happen when you don't know it's going to happen. We're not here to predict the rapture. We're not here to do a bunch of calculations and say, okay, and spend all day watching a bunch of nonsense videos about the end times and not telling people about Jesus. If that is what you are doing, if you're spending your time in the rapture verses of 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 2, you are wasting your time in Christ. You're wasting it. There's a ton of Bible out there for you to learn. There's a ton of doctrine for you to learn. There's a development in your life that should be happening. You should be uh, growing in Jesus. You should be coming more aware of him in your life, and being able to explain him to other people. So that is what we will close with today, is that the rapture verses are very exciting. I love to get to them, and we'll go through them, and we talk about them maybe twice a year during the Prophecy Update. But it is not the kind of thing that you want to dwell on, okay, because there are a lot of other things that you need to learn. So let me finish the life application. Um, they then build an entire theology on this issue, meaning the rapture, by combining those verses with the other rapture verses in the Bible. However, this is the extent of their biblical knowledge. They cannot logically tie what they believe in with the rest of scripture to defend why they believe what they claim they believe. That's not a good place to be. It's a sad and narrow approach to biblical theology. Take the time to read and comprehend the entire Bible. It may be a large challenge, but it will help solidify one's theology and keep the individual from error in the various disciplines found in Scripture. So, the challenge is, because we're still kind of at the beginning of the year, I will read the Bible 30 minutes a day, every day. And I will be done with the Bible in 154 days. Because an audio Bible takes 70 hours to get through. Divide that. 30 minutes a day, and you've got 154 days. I am going to read the Bible twice this year. Now, we've already missed one month and one half of one month, so you got to read a little bit faster or a little bit longer every day to get two times done this year. But that is your big challenge. While we're starting 1 Thessalonians is to say, I'm going to commit to reading the Bible twice this year, and then I'm going to listen to it. If I have an audio Bible when I'm driving... And I'm going to think about it when I'm walking my dog. And I'm going to spend my time in the Word. And I'm not going to dwell on the end times, wasting my time and being frustrated about the state of the world. Because there's so much wonder. You know, I say it to myself every time I walk. I was outside with Sergio last night. And I say to myself in my head, what a beautiful world God has given us. Today I was out on the dock again. And I'm thinking, oh, this beautiful south breeze. It's not hot like south breezes in the summer. It's, it's nice. It's beautiful. The sun is out. It's kind of cool. It's really, really wonderful. What a wonderful world you have given us. And then immediately after I say that, I say, what a crummy world we have made out of it. Why focus on that when you can focus on the goodness that God has given us? You know, take up bird watching. If you want to see the wonder of God, Take up bird watching. The things they do are astonishing. Just think on the things that God has done and you will be so much better off than worrying about the rapture, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for the pizza you've provided through these wonderful people. And thank you for your beautiful and precious word. Thank you for the light that it gives us, and the joy we have in our heart because of what Jesus has done, and help us to be responsible to read it, and to study it, and also to share it with other people. Lord God, help us to do these things that you will be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right,
0: good. Let me back this thing up here. Look at the structure of a feather something. Oh, that's, that's God it work. Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> now, we, well, I'm going to say goodbye to the folks online right now because we won't have sound, but... Uh, We'll wait for you anyway.